Hello everybody, this is H2O Happy Dude here, and I am here with some post-editing work because I kind of fucked up on the video recording. Now, the audio that was coming through was Golden Boy, but the audio that was being fed to him was not being captured through my OBS. So as you can see, within the first couple of minutes that, you know, my lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. That's because I... Five minutes in, I look over and my OBS mic slider is all the way down. Yes, that actually happened. And I kind of flubbed up everything in the beginning. So it's about time for me to give him a proper introduction. He's worked with multiple companies like Epic Games, Twitch, Overwatch League, Rocket League Championship Series, NRG, Kellogg's AT&T, and the WWE. He's been a host at E3 2021, CDL Champions, and UTC Masters, and was a shoutcaster for the Halo Championship Series in Raleigh. He is the host of G4's first original esports show, Boosted, and AEW commentator. He is the golden boy, Alex Mendez. Um... Well, actually, what started first uh, was the was was like my passion for competing. Um, that was uh, that was like the number one thing. And I was I was very into the like just the, the just the aspects of, of competition because I played football as a kid and soccer and basketball I was very active in sports. So I loved just competing you know, in general. Um, and that fascination kind of just drove me uh, to embark into esports. I like discovered MLG uh, and went just so hard in like that world because it was just so awesome to watch. And uh, yeah, and then as a result of that, you know, I ended up getting asked to commentate uh, the Providence event, but it was uh, purely because I funny enough i i had i i knew someone because you know when you go and compete at the old mlg events back in the day like everyone knew each other but you can like nine times out of ten like go up to someone and just talk to them you know like if you were just normal and chill whatever like you just go up and talk to them right because most people were pretty receptive and and always down to like chat and stuff um so uh i like one day went up and asked i was like hey you know can i commentate or something and uh they they gave me the opportunity at a columbus event an mlg columbus event you know all the casters were like drunk and like not showing up for the sunday elimination games that weren't particularly interesting so then they would ask people from the community to come in and, ca and commentate i happen to be one of those people and i was very uh fortunate to have that opportunity to do it um and yeah and ever since then man it's it's been a roller coaster like because when i when i got asked to do that i figured like dude i'm just gonna i i want to see how far this can this can go it's just like a a fun thing and then i ended up you know getting hired for it and actually making money off of it um that was like good enough to you know support me and my my family well uh i just realized that on obs my mic was muted but we're still gonna rock it anyway um, so when, when MLG was, oh, I don't want to say done because last time I checked, they're not running any events, but their website's still up for, 
Yeah, but, MLG is not a thing really anymore. And all those people went and made esports engine. So it's like the, the spirit lives on at esports engine and, and a lot of the HCS events, you know, which is which is really cool. Well, when when your when your commentary uh, history stopped mm -hmm. with uh, MLG, mm. at what point did you get the bug to where you wanted to pursue commentary or mm -hmm. hosting gigs at a on a full time basis? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, yeah, so like you know the my time with MLG was was really fun because I learned a lot. Um, and it really didn't come until like after my stint in Call of Duty came to an end because uh, what happened was like, I was never really getting like opportunities, like the way that, like, not that I felt like I deserved, but like, you know, I felt I worked hard and, and I'd earned some stuff and I had put, you know, a lot of work, few years work uh, into COD. And I just never really felt like, Cause you know, I, I'm not one to like be a part of the boys club or to like go out and party and drink with people just so I can get ahead of my career. Like I really, I, I really don't care. Like if, if you don't like working with me, you don't like working with me. Like life moves on, you know, it sucks. And yeah, it'll, it, it might sting a little, but you know, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, so I just realized that there wasn't really much left for me to do in call of duty, uh, that I could achieve. Um, because I don't think I was ever really going to uh, get over that hurdle that had existed. So I decided to just start, you know, looking outward. And uh, one of my first major gigs that I did was because of my friend, uh, Ernest Lee, who worked at, um, who worked at uh, Twitch. He had uh, hooked me up with a gig with EA to bring in Battlefield 3 to, you know, like uh, introduce Battlefield. I think it was Battlefield 3 or Battlefield 4 four maybe four battlefield four uh to yeah to everyone and 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 uh host that at e3 and that was like super fun to do so i was like the first outside gig that i got and then i started to create these relationships with ea where i was getting hired for these gigs because like they they just liked the fact that i showed up was prepared and did the job and was you know like did everything that you're supposed to do but apparently like for a lot of other talents it's like really difficult for them to do it so i just like showed up and did the thing um, and then as a result of that, you know, once, once that kind of clicked, then I started getting hit up more and more from like other publishers and developers. And, and then I also, uh, got a job at Twitch, uh, and that then led to more connections being created in the industry because, you know, I was just there all the time. Like, you know, you're naturally going to, if you go to like PAXs or TwitchCon or E3 or whatever, like you're naturally going to meet people. Like that's just the nature um, you know, of, of this business, because it's still a very, very small industry. Uh, so you're always going to meet folks. And, you know, I guess just word got around that, like, I was, a I was a, a reliable hand for things. And then I just started getting hired for more hosting gigs. Um, and, and while hosting was never really like a passion of mine, I enjoyed the commentary more, uh, hosting, like, you know, realistically, like paid the bills because, finding hosts to do these gigs like it's very hard to find uh apparently i don't know i mean i think anyone could do it but that's just me uh and yeah and that's basically how it all how it all kind of came about like post call of duty and post mlg the past two years have been rough on damn near everybody and if you 
say that it didn't affect you whatsoever. You're lying to yourself. Yeah. But how, like I saw the Twitter posts with the super long rap sheet of crap you did in the past calendar year during the pandemic. Yeah. How? Like, I'm I'm assuming they were they were mostly offline events, and I, if I remember correctly, you did something at E3 this past year, which was yes. Uh, I, I assume no, it was a closed set. It was not. It was a closed set. Yeah. Um, how how were you affected by like all of a sudden you know, like going from you know, going to studios and uh physically being with other people to all of a sudden yeah. doing what we're doing right now and being on a, a Google meeting call with, uh, while still trying to provide the same, uh, style and quality that brought you to the dance. Yeah. It's hard, man. You know, um, when the pandemic hit, uh, I, I had, I was like booked well into like August, September of 2020 so this was around February, I want to say. So I was getting booked for gigs like really far out in advance. And we're starting to take some risks and do some things that would, you know, uh, not ne- not require me to be as crazy as I was in 20, 2019, 2018. Um, because in those two years, uh, I had managed to do like over a hundred shows, I want to say. Uh, so, you know, when you think about 52 weeks in a year and, you know, not every day you're working, but there were times where I was doing like uh, my, like Rachel uh, Seltzer, uh, I had accepted this award at the uh, Tempest Awards and she gave it like the speech. I really wanted her to give the speech for it. And uh, she had recounted, she was like, uh, for context, Golden Boy, I think was like, been on the road for over 30 weeks and it didn't hit me that I was on the road because I would come home, but I would come home. I'd be home for like a day or two. And then I'd fly to the next show. I'd be home for a day or two and I would fly to the next show. Uh, so it didn't dawn on me that like, I was pretty much like on the road for 30 weeks straight. And I thought to myself, this isn't sustainable. You know, like I'm going to, I, I'm, I don't already have any hair. Like I'm going to lose it all, you know, like this isn't good. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Hey man, we, we got to stick together, you know? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I was definitely like taken aback by that. So then in 2020, I was like, all right, I'm going to take more focused work and less gigs, but you know, uh, really try and expand stuff and, you know, uh, and then the pandemic hit. And then everything got canceled. And I was like, oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I was I was freaking out a little bit. Um, but, you know, and you know this, right, coming from H2O and, and you know, that background, uh, this world existed right where we are right now. Before there was the Staples Center and Barclays Center and the uh, arenas and the stadiums and the, the studio shows, before any of that had existed, uh, esports thrived just like this. People, you know, back in the day, grouping up in a Skype call or now jumping into Discord and uh, just commentating games and stuff like that. Like, like that has always been a thing. So I think the transition to online uh, or the reintroduction, rather, of online 
presented a few unique challenges because now you have these production companies who don't really understand where esports came from. And that's just the honest to God truth. Very few do. Uh, and a lot of them were just trying to overcomplicate the process because they didn't know how to produce shows the way that esports was produced for years before they showed up. And uh, and then that led to a, a lot of hurdles and stuff because they they wanted to present it with the same level of polish and which I totally understand. Uh, but you have to you know understand that there's going to be some uh, there's going to be some reservations. There's going to be some. Uh, not reservations rather, but, but th th there will be some limitations uh, rather for like what you can do. So that was definitely a, a, a bit of a challenge. And, and I think as the year went on though, things got a lot better. Processes got a lot better. Uh, and from there, you know, I think just uh, the quality uh, had, had really grown exponentially. And I do think that we can, thankfully exists in a time and place with esports now where we don't need to just do the stadium shows and and we can do more online stuff it does suck because like you don't you don't get that connection with the crowd and the audience like looking at twitch chat just meme on you all day isn't very enjoyable even though i never look at twitch chat when i cast but it's just not a very enjoyable thing Versus like being in a stadium, meeting people, people coming up to you saying, you know, like it, it's it's much different vibe. Like it looked no different than than ACS Raleigh, you know, like that was just such a even though, yeah, you know, it wasn't like there could have been some more safety precautions put into place. Uh, everyone tried their absolute hardest. It's very hard to, to control like that many variables at once. Um, but it was still amazing to just hear the crowd go nuts when a big play was made. That's not the same as seeing someone type poggers in a chat 15 times so that they can get the same reaction. It's just not the same. But I am grateful that we're able to do this uh, so that this way it opens the floodgates for more talent to get involved, whether it's from the player side, the production side, the, uh, the talent side. It's great that we have more people getting involved in this space because those barriers to entry that existed and were starting to form because of the live event meta, quote unquote, right? Um, it, it really, I think, showed that there are a lot of talented people out there and they just simply needed a chance. And this stuff kind of gives them that opportunity to show that. Yeah, GLHF in chat, it's like mentions uh, about it being uh, back in the pre-OBS days. Pre-pre, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed one. No, no, but you're right though. <laughs> to, to where you had to buy these three to four thousand dollar boxes to be able to have the power to be able to stream. I remember showing up at uh, on uh, Wilshire Drive in Los Angeles, uh, going to when the stream.tv was a thing back in the day. Wow! And, yeah. and there was like five or six of them stacked on top of each other, and I'm like, that can't be cheap at all. And yeah. then you take a look at what I'm doing now. It's like I'm using OBS Studio with with Photoshop to do the overlays. It's like it makes it a lot easier to produce that content. But when you're when you're these big money developers that are wanting to do all of these live productions, it it hampers kind of where it, where the grassroots of everything came from. Yeah, it really does. It really does. It's the the thing that I find so interesting about how far we've come is that i remember uh do you remember uh jason barbosa uh captain barbosa back in the yes day? yeah I so remember. back in the day 
right? He was the only dude that had access to a camera, right? Like he had access to a studio level camera. And it was a big, hefty boy. It was a, it was a big boy camera. And it was like one of the first cameras to take a, um, a SD cards. So he was able to take his footage and then easily uh, transfer it. Actually, and, uh, yeah, and he was able to easily transfer it uh, to, you know, computer files and stuff. As a result of that, he was like one of the first people to actually like get in front of a lot of content that had existed or like all the content that's out there because he was like so ahead of the curve, right? Just by simply owning a camera, was he able to like do the things that he could do? Now you could do the same exact thing, except you could, well, my phone's not here, but you could do it on your phone. You know, like we, we, we shot a, yeah, there it is. We shot a, a thing for G4 uh, where it was like hump day. The joke was hump day. It was like that, you know, Geico commercial. And, uh, and I just wanted to say it was hump day. Right. So uh, we grabbed a, a, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm uh, like a handheld video recorder. Uh, we grabbed one of those. Right. We had a receiver on it for a wireless lav, put the wireless lav right on here and then ran around with my phone camera, ran around and filmed the stuff. And the whole time I'm like, bro, this is nuts how we were able to just do something like this. And back in the day, it was like so hard. Like I, I remember uh, seeing because I don't know if you recall, but like there was a point in time where literally live production didn't happen unless team spooky did it right right like unless team spooky was the guy going and producing the show live streams didn't happen the only other people that were able to produce live streams were the old esl guys or who were the forget what they were before maybe it was esea i don't remember or esaf I've drawn a blank, like Craig Levine and those dudes. Right. Right. And they were the only ones that were able to like produce live tournaments and events. Like we would try and produce a stream for NJ Halo and it was impossible because like none of us had the technology getting internet was impossible. Like, you know, so you take a lot of these things for granted. And I think that's part of the reason why, like when we went back to online, it, it reintroduced my love for just the the craft again because you could see that it was about like putting the best product forward possible uh and and it's evolved so much since then but yeah man it's it's really really fascinating do you honestly think that developers like like going back to developers developers producing content um like we we've naturally seen the progression of of, of yeah. content in general from developers themselves, like yeah. uh, you got Epic doing the uh, Fortnite Championship Series, and then you got Rocket League and whatever. But do you think that developers as a whole are just not paying attention to the people uh, uh, watching and absorbing their content? Yeah, I, I think it's kind of like uh, it, it's it's. On one end of the spectrum, I think you have a lot of devs that are that are very much in tune uh, with what their community wants, and and that is why I would praise HTS, HTS Halo three four three for the way that they're going about their structure. And even though they're having bumps, don't get me wrong, uh, I I do applaud their structure because it's literally what their community has been asking for, right? Right. Um, to that same effect, though, right. When you see something like Call of Duty League come around, 
uh, I remember it was announced and it was a very hype thing because everyone was like really, really pumped about it. Overwatch was in a fairly decent position. So it was rather hype and people were very much into it. And I think had COVID not happened, I think Call of Duty League could have very well gained some momentum. And who knows, maybe Overwatch would have been able to gain momentum too. Uh, but COVID really affected that. Because again, it kind of goes back to that thing where it's like, you know, the, the core of all of this started where we are right now. It didn't start in a stadium in Arlington, Texas. It didn't start in, you know, so you, you have to like, you have to like really uh, embrace what it is that your audience is looking for. That's like a core part of developing a, a good esport. Besides, most importantly, literally the thing above it all, having just a good game, right? Like that's always going to be the most important part of it because I've played some incredible games, but you, you know, you're always looking for that uh, perfect blend of game with high popularity, game with great mechanics, game with great watchability. You're always looking for that. And, and some games don't have it, but still benefit because of the popularity forces it to happen, which is kind of like what, what occurred with Fortnite. You know, like the, the popularity of the game was so much that it was impossible for Epic to ignore that people wanted competition. You know, and I think that they build a system, they built a system that complemented what their community was looking for, right? Um, because how else are you supposed to do BRs? Because, you, you know, you go and you look at PUBG and you see how they were doing it. And it's like, oh, yeah, the final game's happening and this random team won. But no, we're going to ignore that. The winner are these guys because they got more points across all six games. And like, that's just not very compelling to me. Right. Um, so uh, Epic tried to rectify it as much as possible. I think Apex tried a really cool solution as well. So you have to listen to like what it is that your community wants and what it is that your community is focused on. And, and when you do that, that's when you, that's when you find some success, but it's so much more than that, right? Uh, and, and there is no like perfect recipe to create the next great eSport. Um, it just depends on who's making it, what type of game it is, and whether or not the appetite for that type of game exists. So you could look at Valorant as a perfect example where like Riot is making it. Riot made a phenomenal esports structure for the LCS and uh, for their League of Legends esports ecosystem. They decided to make a hero-based tactical FPS game recognizing that people did like the hero elements of games like Overwatch and Rainbow Six, while at the same time uh, trying to bring in that Counter-Strike audience that has felt largely ignored, especially in North America by Valve and, and what's been going on over there. So that is like a, a, a unique situation where you have like this recipe that, that creates what Valorant has now become. But, you know, that's not going to happen all the time. So you have to listen to your community. Otherwise, you're going to be, you know, left with a dead game. All right. So that's all the questions that I have is pertaining to uh, your esports in your in your in your background. Yeah. So I'm I have been a wrestling fan for almost 30 years. And um, I want to know exactly, like, as much as you're, as much as you can tell. Yeah. Uh, 
how the hell did you hook up with AEW? Yeah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, that story was pretty interesting. Because, um, you know, like my, my love for pro wrestling has been a very public thing for a very long time. Uh, I'm, I'm always talking about it, uh, making references when I cast. Subscriber notifications. Uh, subscriber notifications yeah yeah like i you know some emotes like i've been a wrestling fan since since i was a kid so uh that's never gonna change and still am till this day uh what happened was i was reached out to by my friend jabaley uh, alex jabaley who uh runs ceo um and ceo is is great because i've always told alex that i wanted to get out there and i wanted to go to ceo i've always said it. i was like i want to make it happen one day because I'll just show up and do announcements for the top eight because they do like the pro wrestling introductions. Like if you need to look, go look at K Brad Stone Cold Steve Austin entrance. Oh, God. I think it was like CEO 2019 or 2018. It was super funny. It was great. It was just like a good vibe. Right. And I thought like, that's just something I want to do because I love fighting games. I'm awful at them, uh, but I love the fighting game community and I love like the stuff that, that they do. Um, so, uh, so Alex Jabaley hit me up. And he said, hey, uh, you know, we're, we've actually been talking to Kenny because Kenny Omega has come out and compete at a few CEO events in the past. And him and Kenny are, are actually friends. So he said, hey, I've been talking to Kenny and I think we're going to do a wrestling show at CEO. And we really like for you to, to come out and commentate it. Now, this was like months before uh, uh, the first CEO, the New Japan CEO crossover event happened. This was months before. So I was like, dude, that sounds great. I would love to do that. You know, like I'll make sure that my calendar is open for it um, if it does happen. But just let me know if it doesn't. So that this way, if anything else comes up, I can like plan around it. And he was like, yeah, 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 of course. And then we kind of just had silence for a while. And then he came back in. And he was like, hey, so this thing's actually going to happen. We're like two months out. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're going to have all the New Japan people come through. Uh, and Kenny's going to bring some friends. We're going to have local wrestlers. It's going to be like a full show. And I was like, this is nuts. Like this, this sounds like super, like really, this is a really big deal, you know? So he says, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, we definitely want you to come in and, and, and be our, our lead commentator for it. I was like, bro, I'm humbled. Thank you so much. So then uh, going into it, I was like worried because I didn't know who I'd be working with and stuff. And then I met Ringe, um and, uh, and, and Logan Sama. And, and I freaking fell in love with those guys because they're great. They're good personalities. They're very FGC. And then we just went for it. I mean, like we had three guys who had never commentated professional wrestling ever uh, go and do it. And, and it just so happened that Kenny Omega had just won the, NG, uh, the, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at Wrestle Kingdom. So he, this was his first appearance as the IWGP Heavyweight Champion, which is like pretty bonkers. And he showed up and he, him and we had the, uh, we had him and, 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 uh, uh, Kota, Kota Ibushi. And I think they went up against, uh, uh, Hanum. Was it? Oh my gosh. I'm All drawing that. blank on the names right now. Um, but I could find the card for you. Uh, let me see. NJBCO. Got it. Let's see here. Let's yeah. race. Uh, it was Golden Lovers versus, uh, LIJ, yeah. Tetsuya Naito and Hiromu Takahashi. That it was Hiromu. It was Hiromu, yeah. And this was one of Hiromu's like last matches before he had that big injury. So it was a. I mean, dude, when you even look at the card, right? Well, for one, it was the amazing match of Jabali versus Michael Nakazawa that I always. Oh my love. god! We had Jushin Thunder Liger versus Rocky Romero. 
We have the Gorillas of Destiny. We had Tomatonga and Tongaloa versus Juice Robinson and David Finlay. Jeff Cobb facing Chase Owens. And then we had uh, uh, Ryosuke Taguchi and Dragon Lee versus Rapunky 3K's uh, show and yo. So, like, that was nuts. On top of the fact that you had Golden Lovers versus the, uh, the Ingrabra Nobles. And uh, in, in Gabra Nobles. So I, I suck at saying that. But anyway. I just call it no card. Yeah. Incredible card. So coming out of that event, uh, Kenny, I guess, was he really liked the work. Uh, so then we ran it back the next year. But this time around, AEW became a thing. And um, we were we were doing it. You know, he he called me, said, hey, do you want to do this, Jubaley? And I was like, yeah, sure. This sounds sick. I would love to make it happen. He's like, yeah, this time it's going to be tied with AEW. But hopefully it's not a big deal. I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Who cares? Right. Like, that just sounds super fun. Um, and then. Like little by little, the pieces started falling in where he was like, oh, Excalibur is going to be doing this with you. I was like, I love Excalibur from BWG. That sounds sick. And then it was like, oh, by the way, also Jim Ross is going to be commentating with you. And I was just like, wait, what? Like just blown away. Um, so then, you know, it went from me being the primary play-by-play guy to me being the chair three. But I was fine with that because I was sitting next to freaking Excalibur and Jim Ross. So like I, I cannot complain. Uh, and, and yeah, and then, you know, that, that card was the introduction to Darby Allen, uh, to the AEW audience. Uh, we got the chairman gimmick with, uh, with Sean Spears, uh, Moxley versus Janela and the lights out match was mind blowing. Like everything that you could possibly ask for in that card, it delivered, uh, like most AEW shows to be fair. And I was like, just I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that this was a thing that I did. Um, and, and it was such an awesome, awesome experience. Like that picture of me sitting alongside Jim Ross and Excalibur at ringside at ringside was, is something that I will never forget. Like I still remember being there to this day. It's a thing that I want to remember when I'm old and gray. I want to remember sitting at ringside, looking to my left and seeing two people who I very much respect commentating uh, a, a freaking entertainment experience that I have loved since I was a kid. So yeah, you know, I'm very grateful uh, to have had that opportunity, man, because it was, it was mind blowing top to bottom. I'm really shocked. No one decided to try to cap another what face emote. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't uh, many opportunities for us to be on camera because the, the funny thing is that uh, in the early days of AEW, the, the the pacing of the shows were like pretty tough so like we didn't um we didn't actually have a lot of FaceTime on camera because we kind of just had to get from match to match because there was so many matches that were going like 20 minutes or so but i mean dude the crowd was white hot it was all fgc fans so they were rowdy as hell like everyone was into it um and then after that, we ended up getting, or they ended up reaching out and asking if I was interested in doing All Out. So, I mean, I got the, I got to commentate the very first uh, uh, AEW world title match between Hangman Adam Page, our current AEW world champion, and of course, Le Champion, Chris Jericho. It was, it was just, I couldn't believe that I was, that I did that, you know? Um, and, and part of me wishes that I was still doing it, uh, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, I, I love wrestling so much that it's something that I'm okay kind of just throwing myself fully into because it's, it's such a fun world. Um, 
but you know, it's it's not it wasn't meant to be at the time, but maybe it would be in the future, potentially. If not, hey, at least I have those experiences that I could say like I did that. And uh, and I'm very proud of that. Well, maybe the next time you go to uh film for G4, maybe you might be able to go down there go down there during a weekend for a, a PWG show. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh and maybe you know, I, I yeah, I reach out to Excalibur whenever uh there's stuff going on. Uh, so yeah, I mostly just to see him cause he's a homie. He's a good friend. So I, I just wanted to see him and see how he's doing and stuff, but I just poke him yeah. every once in a while. I was like, Hey, you got a gig. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mostly just be like, yo man, you guys running a show. I mean, obviously COVID has been really tough for wrestling as well because you know, like esports, but, it, but more, more importantly, I think wrestling relies on that, on that interaction with the audience. I mean, it does, it's, it's a literally built around it. Um, so, I mean, I give, I give a credit and a shout out to all of those wrestlers during, during like the, the height of COVID, uh, in 2020, when they were wrestling to no crowd and people at home. And it, and it was literally like, like, you know, streaming on Twitch, you know, it, it was like almost the same thing. Uh, but yeah, let me check my viewer account. <laughs> yeah. And they still somehow managed to make it entertaining. Right. So, uh, that's just, that's just incredible. Actually, I, I, I have that same sentiment to anyone who has done anything as far as, you know, uh, providing entertainment in front of a large crowd. Like, like going back to the conversation earlier about how drastic of a change that it must have been for damn yeah. near everyone to have that kind of experience to where it's like, like, for example, Barclays Center for Overwatch. And then you have uh, the stadium events in China for League of Legends. And all of a sudden, it just stops. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, it was a bit of a shocker. Um, I remember I was in the Washington homestand, I want to say. Yeah, it was the Washington homestand. And uh, I saw Brennan Sideshow uh, and Johnny as well. I was with, with the Foreheads crew, and we were just, we were chatting. And Josh, who, who um, you know, uh, it contrary to popular belief is a pretty smart guy uh was he, he pointed out he was just like hey by the way this thing that's happening in china right now is like kind of big and uh i i i could affect us and then i i remember the governor of new york at the time uh andrew cuomo he had he had made a very very famous proclamation he was like it's not a matter of if but when we're going to get hit with this. And he had been saying it for days. And then it finally happened, you know, and it was like, despite the best efforts, you know, it happened because it's New York. And, and, you know, we lived in the, we were the epicenter of freaking everything. Every disaster movie happens in New York. Right. So like it, it was a, uh, it was definitely like a, a bit of a, a startling thing when, when it occurred. And I remember him saying that and be like, nah, man, it's just something that's just going to pass. Just like the way that, you know, swine flu, or uh SARS or you know yeah it, it impacted a lot of people but didn't really affect the west nearly as much didn't affect the US nearly as much um and then you know boom right it all it all kind of blew up in our faces uh the last event i did before the lockdowns uh was the Call of Duty uh LA home series and you know, it, it was weird, right? Like I'm, I'm like, uh, that day getting like on the phone with my manager, like trying to figure out like, am I getting on this plane to go to LA or not? Like, I, I don't know what's going on. Um, and then we ended up doing the event and thankfully, like, I believe no one got sick coming out of it, which is, which is crazy. Um, but 
still was like, well, and also it was still like very fresh. So the the virus wasn't really like out there as much as as it ended up becoming. Um, but boy, that was that was uh that was scary. And I was walking around the venue and you know, just unsure, just masked up and you know, cleaning my hands all over the place and just hoping that, you know, things were good. Um, and you know, the event went well, but then after that, I mean, oof, yeah, everything just got canceled. Yeah, one of one of the things that actually you know hit me the hit me the most was is that uh AEW was in South Haven, Mississippi that uh December of twenty nineteen. And we kept on hearing about it on the news and everything. Went yeah. to SmackDown two weeks later, a week after SmackDown, it was like, Oh, by the way, uh COVID's a thing. And I'm just sitting there like I have just been sharing the same breathable airspace with a combined like forty thousand people. So it's like, what what the hell do I do at this point? Like, yeah. So it's like paranoia hit, and I quarantined myself for two weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. And more of this. Yeah, more more games. Right. Um, uh, it 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 sucked for sure because you know. Like me and my wife, for example, like we traveled a lot. Um, we would save our pennies and we'd we'd fly somewhere, you know. And granted, I wasn't like the most uh, enthusiastic about it because uh, I traveled so much <laughs> that the last thing I wanted to do is my uh, rest and relaxation was travel more. Um, but we, you know, when we would get to the places we'd go to, and we've been so fortunate to travel so to so many places because of her, um, you know, I I was like. Yeah, I was I was like sad that we couldn't do it anymore, you know, but then I was looking forward to just maybe unwinding. And and I think that despite, you know, because you had said at the beginning of the of the show, you were like, you know, the, the you can't get away from it. Like it affected everyone. Right. There's no if, ands or buts about it, but it affected everyone, obviously, in very different ways, whether it's financially or mentally, physically. Um, so for me, it was a it was a mental, uh, you know, effect where I really did feel like, you know, yeah, I was getting to spend more time uh, with my wife, but then it gave me an opportunity to reflect on what it is that I, I actually want to do um, with this, uh, with, with, with my career, you know, and, and that's why I, I decided to take risks and go in different directions and join G4 and, and things of that nature. Because, you know, when the opportunity presented itself, like, had I been reached out to about joining G4, uh, like back in 2019, and if things were like actually happening, I probably wouldn't have done it because, uh, A, I like being in New York, still do, but, you know, I do enjoy living in California, but also B, like, I was so set on the gig lifestyle that doing something that had more of a long-term scope just seemed so out of brand for me. Uh, so I was very, like, unsure, right? Because I, I turned down the Overwatch League so that I could stay in New York because they didn't, they, they refused to like, let me fly in and out. Um, and then eventually, you know, we ended up getting to a point where it did work out and, and I was doing it, but you know, like it, it that, that was a big risk. you right. That was a huge risk. And I didn't know whether or not like that was like the smart call to make at the time. turns out it was for me personally, it was, uh, but it was only because like, you know, I, I had worked so much up to that point. And and this is an industry, it's a business that is very much like, 
if for me at least sometimes it feels like you 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 if you don't do it you lose it is is where i get really worried about like if i don't do this gig will it affect me getting work with this company in the future because there's a lot of great great competition and talent that are out there now so why would they continue to you know keep calling me if i'm too expensive or if i'm unavailable uh, so it, it is a very nerve wracking business. And it's one that for the last, like, I would say few weeks, especially I've been reflecting and it's like, do I want to continue to like worry about this stuff? Would it just make more sense to just go into something or go into business for myself and like, you know, really build something for myself. So, you know, it, it, it's just the pandemic kind of just like, uh, it triggered just a lot of changes, I think for me mentally. Um, so, you know, while it sucks that it happened. Uh, I'm glad that it gave me that time to be able to reflect on 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 what matters in this world, you know. You mentioned about uh, uh, basically everything alluding to where you are now with G4 and Boosted. Um, I'm just curious on 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 what happened first. Were you hired? Were you you brought in first, and Boosted was created after that, or were mm -hmm. you just brought were you brought in and G4 was like, hey, we have this show for you. Yeah, I was I was brought in. Um I was brought in first. Boosted came after the fact. Uh so when I was hired, it, it was again, it was really weird because there was like uh it was ever changing, you know, like I mean, we were supposed to launch like in, in twenty twenty. And then we were supposed to launch early twenty twenty one. And then we were supposed to launch summer of twenty twenty one. So everything just kept getting pushed. Uh, so there was like no real show that was being uh, developed. I had thought that that's what we were going to do. But, you know, then things change and the processes change and people it change within the company and stuff like like it's pretty nuts. Like there were people who had worked for G4 because uh, G4 has been around as a business uh, for quite a while. Uh, I would say about maybe like three years now. Uh, but like it, it, it just launched as a network. Because like when you're building something like this, it takes a lot of time to build it, right? So when I was brought in, it was brought in to do like to just be a host on G4, and I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that they wanted me to do esports stuff. Uh, and then uh, I was already signed. Well, I wasn't already signed. I was like talking because we, we, you know, we had to sort out some stuff in the deal and whatnot. Uh, and then I saw that Frost got signed, and then I knew Avali was there already because she was the first host signed by G4. Um, so I was genuinely like surprised with the lineup because it was very League of Legends focused. But now, upon reflection, like you know, I mean, working with Frost has just been a freaking blast, and and Avali is one of the funniest people I've ever met. And and like she looks crazy, but she's calculated. Uh, everything she does is calculated. So. Um, yeah, man, I I really, really like the fact that we were able to get this team together because we all really did come from different scopes in the esports space. Uh, and then we bring something different to the table, each of us. So it's been it's been a very, very fun experience. Is there anything in the future of G4 that you're actually able to talk about? Oh, yeah. Um, well, there is going to be some uh, some cool collabs with like WWE stuff still because uh, that relationship is still very much a thing. Um, we have me and uh, Gerard and and Austin have some stuff coming up in the horizon. Uh, I can't really talk about what it is because I don't know Damn fully. It. If I'm being if I'm being bluntly honest, like 
I was reached about this like two days ago. I don't really know what it is yet, but you know, we'll see. You don't know um, the juicy deets yet. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't even know the deets. So it's like there's nothing to there's nothing juicy, right? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and then uh, and and yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of a bum bummer that um, you know, stream blocks aren't really happening right now. Uh, but you know, it's, it, we're, there's a lot of restructuring that's happening at the studio as far as like, uh, equipment and where things go. Um, so I'm hoping that it just leads to a better production in the future because we were starting to really gain steam with the stream blocks. Uh, and I think that when we, uh, when, when they inevitably come back, uh, they'll be bigger than ever. And then hopefully we can have a little bit more production resources behind it. Um, you know, what's, what's, what's really cool about working in a place like G4, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's going to take a while for us to fully get to the vision of like a very creator first focus. But, uh, I like that this group is, is very much willing to take risks. Um, and, and, you know, cause this is kind of like what I would have wanted G4 to evolve into, uh, had it continued on, uh, G4 was so ahead of its time, right? Like what they were doing back in the day, like without G4, we would not have event coverage, right? We would have gotten it eventually, but they were the ones on the ground, live on TV, interviewing devs, like really making this into a spectacle that E3 and PAX and Gamescom have become now. Uh, but G4 was the catalyst of that. Like they were the ones that, that really sparked it. So uh, I like that they want to take risks. I like that, you know, G4 is a, I wouldn't have heard about Twitter if it wasn't for G4. Would I have heard about it eventually? Sure, because it's like in the zeitgeist now, it's huge. But like, I would have not learned about uh, Twitter when I learned about it, had it not been for them putting it on a freaking wall and, and then putting that wall on TV. And that was risky when you really think about it. Like they could have posted anything, but you know, they went for it. Um, so that really is the, the cool thing, uh, about, about G4 and, and with the way that gaming has just evolved, uh, and pop culture has evolved as well. It, it is so fascinating, uh, that we have this much, uh, variety, uh, in the space and that G4 is in a good position to be able to tackle it. We just got to be able to do it a little bit faster, but I do think that, you know, that is on everyone's mind. It's about how can we be nimble? in this ever-evolving digital landscape that just seems to be growing exponentially and growing out of control in some some cases. Uh, if you were given the book, and make this real quick, we got less than 10 minutes to go. If you were given the book to develop a pilot for G4, what would it be and who would Oof. who would host it? Um I would I would love a show I will I would love a a nerdy cooking show um with Avali and Gina. I think that would just be hilarious. Uh you know, they come in, they cook a dish, something related to a game, have guests come in, chat with them for a little bit, right? Have what them like uh have them do something like out of the wow or insert random game here cookbook that's actually been released. Yeah, 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 exactly, right? Like do do something that is related to a game. Right. Or make something that is related to a game. I, I really I really think that that or, or just not game, but just pop culture in general. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, I did a show with IGN as well uh, that was called Fast Travel with Brian Altano. And it was so fun because we went to Austin, Texas, and it was an interview show. But like we went to these different locations 
and we chatted about, you know, like my history and, you know, kind of like what we're doing right now, but we were just in a, in a on set, like in a location. Um, and we ended up going to this one place that was the largest pinball arcade in Texas. Uh, and emphasis on large. This thing had, I want to say it was like over 60 or 70 machines, all, all types of pinball. From the old Star Wars one, so the new Guardians of the Galaxy ones, I like pinball. So like they they have like all these pinball machines, right? And uh, the only thing I wish we would have done was really highlighted a little bit more. Um, like I wish that I wasn't being interviewed and we were interviewing someone who was there, you know, and like talking to them because I, I, I want to learn more about that. Uh, like I love learning about things. Um, my favorite uh, things to watch on YouTube are retrospective videos. Uh, so like I, I watched Toy Galaxy and their retrospective videos on like uh, uh, Biker Mice from Mars and Power Rangers and Robotech, right? And, and yeah, right. And like I, I, I love watching um, like uh, creative videos. Like I actually found this one guy, wish I could uh, remember the channel, and he kind of covers like all the RPGs and how they like affected you know the the how, how like what was it like Final Fan? Oh. No, it was about Chrono Cross uh, and like the creation of the game and then the after effects of it. Like all that to me is just so fascinating. So like any opportunity we have to just learn uh, is always is always going to be something that I that I look look forward to when I like create and pilot a show, especially for G4. All right. So we're about to wrap this up. We got five minutes left. Is there yeah. uh, any plugs or anywhere that anyone can get a hold of you at? Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm mean, obviously I stream, uh, on Twitch, um, at golden boy, FTW, everything's golden boy, FTW, but you know, you can catch me on G4, uh, doing the stuff on boosted every Wednesday, 2 PM Pacific, 5 PM Eastern. Uh, and hopefully when the stream box return, we'll be back on with retribution G4 after dark. And, you know, I mean, uh, but I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how, how things, uh, you know, just develop throughout the year for, for G4 and just for for our space in general because i really do think that we're we're right there we're about to hit a, a turning point like it, the industry as a whole i don't know what that is yet but i feel like we're due for another fortnite level uh type of meta shift uh and i'm and i'm very much looking forward to seeing what that is well thanks a lot for joining me golden boy i greatly appreciate it um sure, bud. so uh just remember guys when you listen to happy dude and friends Hands are not mandatory. They're just merely optional. Damn right. Damn right. <laughs> Take care, everyone. I'll holler at y'all later.